Tonight as we come to 2 Peter chapter 1, it's an amazing book where Peter's writing it at the end of his life and being led of the Holy Spirit and just talking about how God's given us everything we need to live a victorious life in him and for him and through him and to be fruitful. And last week, we saw that we've escaped the corruption that's in the world and that verse 5 said, but for this very reason that God's called us out and we've escaped by his power to give all diligence to add to our faith. And we really talked about that last week, that we give all diligence to really get after the things of the Lord and to add to our faith, that we're saved by faith, but we want to grow in faith and faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we want to be strong in faith. And Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. So that faith in Jesus and that desire to go forward with what Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, has for us individually is the foundation of everything. So we saw these attributes that were to add to our faith, virtue, which is moral uh, character, excellence, knowledge, that's practical knowledge, the knowledge of the things of God, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. And we talked about love being the foundation of, of all things. And even Saturday night, we talked about that God is love and his love is supreme and reigns over all things. So these seven things were put out there and they are literally called things because we pick it up tonight in verse eight where we read this. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. So this is that back-end thought that we're either going to be fruitful or not fruitful. We're either going to be bearing good fruit or bearing bad fruit. That's just how life works. It's, we're going to be light or darkness. And so he says that if these things are ours, that personal possession, that when, when we look in the mirror and who we see and when other people look at our lives, they see moral virtue and they see self-control and perseverance and godliness and kindness and love, um, we're going to be fruitful. But if they don't see that, we're unfruitful. There's lots of people that go to church and profess faith in God of some sort. They're not fruitful with these things. We want to be fruitful with these things. And when you break it down, it really, these things come down to how we overflow from our relationship with the Lord and how we perceive other people. My son Luke uh, was doing another, like, kind of a psych evaluation again with the, with Long Beach Police Department. It's just such a process these days to be in law enforcement for obvious reasons. And in the testing that he did today, it was very interesting. They asked him the same question twice through a, a group of multiple questions, but slightly different, and they're looking for nuances of change and how you answer it. And a lot of them are like, you answer questions that are geared toward how you view people. For example, you have to complete a sentence, and it starts like, all homeless people, and you complete the sentence. And how you complete that sentence is being engaged, because if you're in law enforcement, of course, you, you are involved with homeless people, and you're involved with rich people who've been drinking and driving or just reckless driving and they got a big car they think they're on the road. It could be any number of things. So it's, it's all these different people of humanity. So they brought up different ethnic groups. These people are, and so if you ask like, hey, they've got the same thing we got or whatever. And Luke was saying with the homeless people, he said, 
there are people just like us that have opportunities like we do, you know? So, you know, it's that type of thing. But I thought it was very interesting because he's going through these uh, very detailed psych evaluations to serve the city of Long Beach in law enforcement, to protect and to serve the most multicultural city in the world by its branding of itself. And they want to make sure that this person uh, treats the citizens of Long Beach properly, appropriately, in accordance to the laws that guide and govern the city of Long Beach, Los Angeles County, and the state of California. Makes sense, doesn't it? They want to make sure that this young man uh, can, will properly represent the laws and enforce them uh, ju- judiciously and with prudence and wisdom. Makes sense. Well, how much more us in the name of Jesus Christ? Like, we're not enforcing law, but we represent the greatest government in the world, the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And how we treat people as a citizen of the kingdom of God, how we view people, how we interact with people, it's just so far-reaching how we interact and, and care about people. So if these things are ours, they'll overflow from our life without bias uh, and predisposition and discretion. It's just who we are. We're going to be loving. We're going to have brotherly kindness. We're going to be compassionate where others might not. Speaking with my sister today, who had her one-year rehab graduation last Saturday, it's actually been more than a year of being sober, but the graduation was there at Balboa Park in San Diego. Big deal. My mom picked up my dad at assisted living, and they drove down to San Diego together, you know, off the 163 there and Balboa, and they brought their dogs like they do, and, you know, and, and 88 and 83, there they are. And, you know, they cheered for Barbie when she walked and everything. And so now we begin this whole new process where now it's clear all the bad credit debts. Because we say, like, hey, until she's sober for a year, there's no sense in trying to clear up all the bad credit debts, right? That was the benchmark. She's sober for a year, and then dad's willing to help her clear some of these bad credits that she incurred while living on the streets for five or six years. And, you know, she has been so thankful. And when I spoke with her today, she's like, Joey, I'm just so grateful for everything. God's been so good to me. And I'm just so thankful for my life. And thank you for being there. And thank you for helping me clear these debts. And and because uh, I'm like, hey, is this, was this a credit card debt from 2012? Because, you know, they want to settle this and we can do it. Like, oh, I just didn't. Oh, I just can't believe I did all these things. And But just thank you for everything. That, and it's like, you know, that's who we want to be. It's like it's 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 so interesting to me that I told my sister this through all that grief that she caused my parents. And she did break my parents heart many times in completing rehab and living soberly and holding down a regular job and working with the courts, making her parole officer happy, making everybody happy, living in a halfway house still, now being a leader for all the new girls coming in. Uh, Now she's going to start her DUI to clear the DUI stuff. She has to go to DUI school. I never heard of that, but it stands the reason. If you get a bunch of them, you would. And to rebuild her life and the simplicity of her life and the gratitude toward the Lord and the brokenness and then seeing how it's brought our whole family together. Like her, her sobriety, her faith in the Lord, her desire to do the right things and absolute 100% humility, no pride, no defensiveness for the last year has unified our family more so than any other event in the history of my family between my brother, myself, my sister, and my parents. 
And it just shows that when there's brokenness and the Holy Spirit and you, you value people and you value relationships, it's amazing what God can do. The love of God, the grace of God, and the mercy of God. Our God is a God of restoration and a God of healing and a God of hope and a God of love. And when we think about these things, when they become ours, good things happen around us. And we pass those blessings on to other people, and then good things can happen for them. They, don't, they may not always choose to do good things because you did good things, they don't know, but still it's there. Like these things, the moral virtue, the knowledge, these things are good things for our life that we look in the mirror. And they are really good things to overflow from our life at any time, beginning any day. It makes things better. Or as the pastor Chuck's that I listened to last night from Hosea, sow righteousness to yourself. The moment you start sowing these things, it's good things for self, and it's good things for everyone around you. And it's just been wonderful, like watching the Lord work in my sister's life to see how it's all been restored and how now she's a blessing to so many other people. I go back to Mother's Days ago when she was out of her mind with a grocery cart. And I just said, there's only one thing God has for you to go to rehab and complete it. That's the next step of God's will in your life. And to talk with her today, such a blessing. If these things are yours, if these things are yours, our God's a God of order and we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, really good things happen for us and everyone around us. You will not be barren or unfruitful, but you will in fact be fruitful. And he said, are yours and abound. God wants these things to abound in our life, not just to be there like, well, yeah, you know, they're kind of up and down in their personality. Sometimes they're kind and gentle. Sometimes they're harsh. And no, if these things abound in your life, we're going to be fruitful. And if we lack these things and we call ourselves Christians, we're way off the mark. We're not even close. Verse 10, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your con election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So first of all, he said, if these things are yours, are yours, and they abound, then you're not going to be unfruitful. But then he says, if you do these things, you will never stumble. So if we make it our objective and our desire and our passion and our purpose to just have these character attributes of Christ in our life, these things, these seven things, we're never going to stumble. And, I mean, that's a great promise, but he said, if you do. It's just so interesting to me how people historically in human history can make theology in belief in the right things, dry and not practical. Whereas what Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount and what the Holy Spirit does in a believer's life, it's so practical. It's not that complicated. And when you study great women of church history and great men of church history, and you just find a simplicity in that simply they lost their lives, like we studied Saturday night. They, they, they put Christ before all relationships. They bear their cross, and they put Christ before all of the pursuits, and they're, they're fruitful, and they serve others. You can never be fruitful for the kingdom of God and have that abundant uh, entrance 
without being self-sacrificing and a servant of all. It's not possible. So we can't take good theology of the New Testament and, and still make everything revolve around us. It's the, the true good theology of the New Testament is the servant of all and to love others, and it always moves toward others and losing ourselves in serving others and forgiving others and not being bitter and not being vindictive and just going forward from every experience in the human experience and giving it to the Lord in faith and trusting him. If you do these things, these are good things to do. Isn't brotherly kindness a good thing to do? Think how harsh the world is right now. Brotherly kindness. It's just amazing. A kind act at school, a kind act at work, a kind action, a loving action, a selfless action, exercising self-control when others don't. There's so much to be said for it. And it's the mark of the, the testimony of citizens of heaven. For he said, in doing this, you will never stumble, but verse 11, so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So verse 8 said, if these things are yours and abound, and then verse 11 says, so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly. These, you know, it's quantity. It's, it's abundant. It's a lot. It's not a little bit. It's abundant. And it's interesting in verse 11, for it says, if, you know, if these things are your, if you do these things, you're going to have an entrance, an abundant uh, it, an entrance abundantly supplied to you in the everlasting kingdom. It's like, I, the terminology there is a little, my mind's like, an abundant entry. Like, what's an abundant entry like? Is it like you walk in and you tilt the room and everyone knows you're there? Is it like you're the, you're the hero and everyone's clapping? Like, I mean, um, what, what does that abundant entry look like? What doesn't, you know, what doesn't, if you come back from an injury and you come back to the locker room and you're the star of the team and everyone's clapping because you're back and, I mean, I don't even know, like, what does an abundant entry look like? But this is an abundant entry coming into work or coming to school, like, I suppose an abundant entry would be like, hey, if you were like the best high school quarterback in the nation and you signed at Alabama or USC and you show up for the first day of school, everyone's like, dude, there's the guy from Modern Day or St. Margaret's, right, or... Uh, Servite, you'd be like, oh, it's an abundant entry. We come into class, I'm like, dude, it's him, it's the quarterback, it's, it's her, she's the gold medalist, whatever. So it'd be like prestige, you know, it'd be like pr- prestige, an abundant entry, like everyone knows you're there. For example, when I was in Vermont and they had the governor's convention, it was when Bill Clinton was the president and Bill Clinton was at our hotel at the Sheraton. And I was working that day. And I always remember him walking right by me and he went out into that dining hall and all the governors were there and all these important people. And he's the president of the United States. Let me say that again. He is the president of the United States. And he walked through that door and everybody stood up and cheered and they applauded him. These are governors of both political parties and all the important people. And they're all trained him and they're respecting the position, which isn't the point of what I'm saying here. But it wasn't abundant entry. The moment he walked through the doors from the kitchen, like we used to do every day going in and out of the restaurant at the Sheraton Hotel there, President Clinton walks through those doors Everyone cheers. That's an abundant entry. So the Lord just gave it to me. I asked the question. You heard me ask the question three minutes ago. He just gave you the answer from my own life. He just gave me the visual. If I ever teach this passage again, God help me to remember that's the example of abundant entry. 
the President of the United States walking from the back kitchen out to greet 50 governors to have lunch with them at the Sheraton Hotel in 1996. Amazing. That's temporal. This is eternal, and we don't have to be the president to have this. This is an abundant entry into the kingdom of God for all eternity. Now, what's sobering to me is once you go, you don't come back, right? I don't know if this is just me lately, but the, with so many people I know having stepped into eternity, and there's times where I just stop and go like, oh, my goodness. Jennifer's stepmom is gone. You know, when, when Joanne got cancer last year, she was, it's by our mind, she was healthy at Timmy's graduation at Cal State Maritime. Happiest I've ever seen her. We went out to dinner in San Francisco. She was in the best mood I've ever seen her. I did not see her again until the day before she died, three months later. She got pancreatic cancer and died so fast. But there were so many things going on in her life. So it's like you kind of like, wow, you know, it all happened. And they didn't do a funeral because that wasn't their style. And, and you know, just, just random moments were like, and Joanne's gone. You older people know what I'm talking about, right? You're just like, they're gone. They're not coming back. They don't live in that house anymore. Bill, her dad, doesn't live in that house anymore. He lives in assisted living. It just, nothing stays the same. And something that is just so profoundly, and you know this has impacted me so much in recent times, is just how real eternity is and how short life is and how you step into eternity and you're not coming back. You just, you're never coming back. Like, let me say it one more time. We step into eternity in the sense of this flesh and body. We're not coming back. It's not like we're going on a trip and we're saying goodbye at an airport. Well, we'll see you in two months. We'll see you. Like, Timmy went to Europe all summer and he came back. I suppose this most hit me yesterday coming back from uh, being at the beach with my dogs and when you're coming PCH northbound PCH and Magnolia you know what I'm talking about you see all the stuff where the car accident was where the three kids were killed by the drunk driver just five months ago four months ago those three kids from Vegas on spring break and their pictures are very big there's a poster it's about like don't drink and drive and and I and when I'm stuck at that light and I'm going uh, northbound toward Long Beach which is really west but I'm going and I just stare and I just think like they're, they're not coming back. A drunk driver hit them who had already been convicted of DUI. So hit them and they were killed. And she's going to jail for a long time and they're not coming back. And the parents are getting to go to a graduation and eternity is so final it's so real. It's never going to change. And we can only say like the great King David when he lost his son. I, he will not come back to me, but I will go to him. Therefore, I no longer fast. And I'm going to eat a meal and get on with the life that God has for me. And make the most of it. And that is our objective, to make the most of our life. To know the Lord and to serve the Lord. There are no other purposes in being alive. To be saved to know Jesus, and being saved to obey the call of God on our life as best we know how. There are no other purposes. And there is nothing more honorable, whether we're young, middle-aged, or old, that we wake up daily and seek to serve the Lord and let these things be the mark of our life until the trumpet sounds and we enter into eternity. It's the everlasting kingdom. And kingdoms fascinate me, but God's kingdom is everlasting 
you think about Rome, you think about the Greeks and the Medo-Persians and the Assyrians and, and all, the, you know, uh, Genghis Khan and, you know, Hannibal and all these great warriors and kingdoms of different times. And they don't, Years ago, I used to kind of make fun of Rome. I'd be like, because, you know, Rome tried to eradicate Christianity from the face of the planet. And when I'd be doing, like, outreach, I'd be like, where's Rome now? You know, where's Caesar? Who's here now? Tonight, the church, which I could still say, we're here. We're the church. Where's Rome? Donde esta Roma? Right? You know, where is Rome? We're here. The church is here. Our kingdom. Now, Peter wrote this letter by the power of the Holy Spirit before being executed by Romans for his faith. We're still here. And we're going to be here till the trumpet sounds. Until the Lord says the church age is done and he establishes the kingdom on earth, the kingdom age. But we represent this kingdom. And he wants us to have an abundant entry into his kingdom. And I love the wording here. The Holy Spirit could have said an abundant entrance to the kingdom of God. But he says the everlasting kingdom. He reminds us that his kingdom is not like the statue in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It's not gold, silver, bronze, and iron and clay. Representing all these great human kingdoms that degress and regress in the progression of time, space, and matter. His is the everlasting kingdom. And when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, poured out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, he birthed the church age, and this kingdom has run parallel to every kingdom of man, all the rulers, kings, and queens, and theologies and philosophies, lies, and everything else in between in the human experience for 2,000 years, and this kingdom is here today. And we're here tonight. We're the everlasting kingdom. And God wants us to have an abundant entry when we transition from time, space, and matter, representing him as citizens of heaven as we step into his eternal kingdom. And we're never coming back. When he calls us, we're going, and we are not coming back. We step into eternity. It's appointed unto men to die once, and then the judgment, the accountability. And God wants us to step into eternity with these things, doing these things, these things, possessing these things, and doing these things, and to have an abundant entry into his kingdom. His kingdom is everlasting. All the men and women who've tried to conquer the world, his kingdom is conquered not by force, but by love. The everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 12. With this objective, Peter goes on to say in the power of the Holy Spirit, for this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up, reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So for this abundant entry into the everlasting kingdom as the objective of a godly life, good decisions, self-determination of the right choices, Peter now reflects on the end of his life. This is similar to 2 Timothy, where Paul says that, you know, that I'm being now being poured out as a drink offering, the time of my departure is at hand. And I've fought the good fight, I've kept the faith, I've finished the race, and I, you know, he's going to be the Lord. He says, The Lord's got a, you know, a crown for me as he has for all those who love his coming. 
there in 2 Timothy says that. Well, Peter, again, this is around early 60s AD when Rome is about to really unload it, unleash its wrath on the church of Jesus Christ. He says, in reflecting at the end of his life. Now, there are passages, many passages actually in the Bible where people are, you have last moments of all kinds of people. Like Jezebel, she says, is that you, you betrayer of your masters? And then what does Jehu say? Who's with me? Throw her out the window, right? That's the last moment of Jezebel's life. There's a lot of last moments captured for us in the Bible, good and bad, and anything in between. And there are also reflective last moments of the end of people's lives, which is more the context. Now, Ecclesiastes, Solomon, in his elderly age, is reflective. And he is led by the Holy Spirit to reflect on his life, what really matters. And what did he say? You know, cast your bread upon many waters. Don't make excuses. Just sow for the Lord and sow, sow, sow for the Lord. Seek the Lord while you're young before the days grow old and evil and you take no pleasure in them. Get after the Lord early on and stay after the Lord till it's all over, is what he said. And then he said, this is the sum total matter that you obey God, or you, keep his, you fear God, and you obey him and you keep his commandments. He was reflective. He, Moses, at the end of his life, he said, look, I'm going, I'm gone, but know this way. You can choose life or you can choose death. You can choose obedience or you can choose rebellion, but know this, the Lord will not be mocked. And here, Peter says, it's the end of my time. The Lord, had, as he showed me, which is recorded for us in the Gospel of John, that when he was old, he would go in a way that he didn't want to go. Uh, speaking of his death, it's recorded for us in John's Gospel, chapter 22. And Peter says, he, he, this is it. It's, 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 some people know they're going to go through terminal illness or just their age, maybe, various things. Uh, there's a practicality sometimes of knowing that you're going to be going. Um, like I mentioned, Joanne, she would have known she was going. She began to read religious books. Last day I was there, there's different religious books. You know, they weren't this book. But she was trying to prepare herself. Yeah, and God says in the Bible, prepare to meet your maker. And the question of the night of the ages of every life is are we prepared to meet our maker are we ready for that last day Stephen was ready for that last day I see the Lord standing at the right hand of the father last thing he says is forgive him Peter here says at the end of his life so let's think about this if that final season in time space and matter he says I'm not going to be negligent he says, I will not be negligent to remind you of these things. See, it doesn't change. Societies change. Kingdoms come and go. Governments get a fresh start through revolutions. They expand. They control. They corrupt from within because they're human-based. And then they fall apart and new ones replace them. It's human history. But the everlasting kingdom, our foundations, our truths, the gospel, the word of God... The kingdom, the power, the Holy Spirit. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It never changes. <laughs> French Revolution, church just keeps on rolling. It just, it just, 
World War I, church keeps on rolling. World War II, church keeps on rolling. And, you know, in this certain age we're living in right now that is just so strange, it's beyond a science fiction movie when you walk out these doors. Church of Jesus Christ, we're here. We're here. And there's no new thing from the Lord under the sun that he has not already revealed to us what is right and appropriate for living our lives in our timeline, in our day, on this day, at this time, from here to eternity. It it is no different for us to wake up and to live these things as best we know how in faith and obedience to the Lord in the year of our Lord, 2018, as it was for someone living in Torrance in the year 1918 at the tail end of World War I and preaching the gospel and singing hymns in a church in South Bay. It, it, it hasn't changed. It has not changed. And it's not going to change. The definitions of gender change. The definitions of marriage change. A man and, and his globalistic worldviews and totalitarian control uh, global view that they want to have and they're pushing hard for, the devil himself is pushing, all the views are changing. They're removing the ancient boundaries, and pastors let the ancient boundaries be removed from the Word of God, you know, decades ago in this country, where church doesn't mean the same thing for different people. But we know what it means here, because we believe in the gospel. We believe in the inclusivity and the exclusivity of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. We believe in the Word of God as the total standard for all things that we can be thoroughly equipped for life and good works in this generation, in our time, and for our children and our children's children. But outside these doors, the madness is beyond comprehension. And we say, like Isaiah, those who call evil good and good evil. And that's exactly what we see going on. And people are so deceived and so demented in their thinking that when they do evil things, they they call it good. And then they call good things evil. But they don't want restraint. And our government's not restraining And listening again to a message from Pastor Chuck recently, the purpose of human government by God's design is to be a terror to those who do evil. Human government is derived by God as a restraint against evildoers. So a society that people can aspire to live a quiet and peaceful life and know the Lord as it was intended in the foundation of the, the creation. But it doesn't change who we are. So my point is that what Peter was saying in the power of the Holy Spirit as he prepares for eternity in a dark cloud hanging over the church in the Roman world, it, the application doesn't change for Polycarp any more than it would for you and I or Danny Donnelly tonight. That application hasn't changed. He's reminding us and stirring us up by the power of the Holy Spirit of things that are never going to change. That God is faithful that God is true, and we can trust him in all things. And if these things are ours, and we do these things, we have an abundant entry into the kingdom. And to be established, and to be stirred up, to be reminded. What if we said tonight, verse 14, I shortly must put off my tent as the Lord showed me. How would that possibly affect our thinking? I think a really good test for where we're at is that if we knew we were stepping into eternity tomorrow, if we feel at peace that there's no one we need to call, there's no letters we need to write, there's no one we need to say sorry to or, or seek restoration with. I mean, that's, that's someone, that's a woman who's ready to step into eternity. 
to be at peace with the Lord and at peace with others and have that faith in Jesus Christ. If we knew shortly, people build up resentment and bitterness and wrath and unforgiveness and vindictiveness and get lawyers and do all these things because they think life's going to go on forever. It's not going to go on forever. Their wealth's going to be redistributed and they're going to step into eternity. And someone else is going to own their house. Someone else is going to own their land and their car is going to be a piece of junk. And in some cases, your currency becomes worthless. Ask the people in Venezuela. So the things that really matter are the character and the fruit of the godly life. And, the, and here he said in verse 15, Moreover, I'll be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. I like this because Peter's thinking about after his decease. After his decease. Let's pause just for a second and think about what happens after our decease. What happens after our decease? In our home, for our spouses if we're married, for our children if we have children, for our grandchildren if we have grandchildren. What happens after our decease? What happens um, in the church after our decease. Heaven's gain should be earth's loss. And yet in earth's loss, you moving on, you should have ideally so invested the kingdom in other people that it just branches out from your departure. This grain of wheat dies and it brings forth life. That's what Jesus said with his death to birth the church. Heaven's gain should be earth's loss, but the gain of heaven should be the the delegation and the ongoing sowing of your life and the legacy of your life after you are gone. What reminder will we have after our decease? Well, I'll tell you what, Peter was smart enough to obey the Lord when he said, follow me, I'll make your fishers of men. And to this day, a billion people think he's the head of the church, right? All the Catholics. I mean, Peter was amazing. And he's a legacy of God's grace and being obedient and going for it. What will be the reminder after our decease? Because it just takes one, two, three generations before no one even remembers and no one even cares. So that immediate generation, horizontally, those relationships, and then the next generation, vertically, what Listening to my wife sing songs to Zippy, our granddaughter, the same songs our kids grew up singing, the Donut Man songs. Anyone remember the Donut Man? Anyone? When I take a bath, I think about the Lord. How he washed away my sins. Let me tell you more. I mean, our kids, those VHS, and of course it had to be VHS, right? Over and over. And now I just listen to Pastor Chuck study you know, the wisest thing you can do is fill your house with soft praise music every day because the moment you, your kids, and the next generation walk out that door, everything is against it. It's reminding me, like, how wise it was good. It's good. What will... 
Think I, I always think I'm going to die when I go into surgery. So of course I just this is just two weeks. Ago, I'm like, yeah, I put everything in order. Here's life insurance policies. Here's emergency cash. Here's the end of the world water. You know, here's you know, just like I got it all in place. When I step into eternity, Jennifer's like, you're going to be just fine, <laughs> and I'm going to have to take care of you for two weeks. <laughs> you know? But you think about setting your house in order. But what will be, what would be after you? Not just the practical, but the spiritual. Now we'll close out the chapter tonight. Verse 16. For we did not, this is Peter now saying, what moved him as he stepped into eternity, he's totally ready to step into eternity. He's got a legacy. He's exhorting. Things are established. He's, 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 he's committing the church to the Lord, really. And he says this. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So here Peter is recalling at the end of his life, one of the great experiences of his life with the Lord when Jesus took Peter, John, and James to the top of the mountain there and the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus was glorified. He's given a witness. Let's think about this. He said, we do not follow cunningly devised fables. You know, the world follows so many ludicrous, demonically cunningly devised fables that if you could just think reasonably and rationally, you would reject them. But that's... The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, and he's the great deceiver. And hearts, if the hearts don't want to seek the Lord and see God's glory revealed in creation, Romans 1 says he'll just give them over to their deprived heart and their depraved thinking anyways. No, the wisest, clearest, absolute truth is the universal truth in the person, the work, the promises, and the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus is truth, and Jesus is reality. And when we give our life to Christ, people might think we've lost our minds, but we have found our minds. We have found our minds in Christ. We have attained the mind that God intended for us from the dawn of creation with Adam and Eve. We have, it has been restored because we have the mind of Christ through faith in him. And we have not followed cunningly devised fables. We have followed the truth, the Savior. And we're not following religion. We're following a relationship with the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. We have not followed cuddling divine's fables. I've watched my kids go through 10 years of college and be subjected to the most ludicrous, cunningly devised fables imaginable, forced and impressed upon them by people with pseudoscience and pseudo-intellectualism. But you know, not many wise are called. Not many noble are called because God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. We love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're not the village idiot, even if people think we are. Because he's no fool who gives up that which you cannot keep to gain that which you cannot lose. Jim Elliott. Because we just saw on Saturday night, unless you die to yourself, you can by no means be his disciple. Jesus didn't force anything on anyone. He just said, if you're going to be my disciple, these are three things that you have to understand. I come before every relationship. You must bear your cross, and I become before every pursuit. You don't have to follow me, but if you choose to, this is the cost of discipleship. We have not followed cunningly devised fables. We are following the Savior of the world, the creator of the world, the one who sustains and holds the world together, and who is coming to rule over. We are following the King of Kings who reigns over the everlasting kingdom. The world outside these doors follows cunningly devised fables, led by the devil himself. And the whole world's marching toward a massive cunningly devised fable.
one man, global government, cashless society, eradicate Israel, and unify through Europe one currency. That's what's coming. And that's the biggest lie there, that man can govern himself. We were meant and designed to be governed by the Lord. And that's no fable. That's the truth. And we know that. Most of us know that in this room. So Peter, as he's dying, he's thinking about his life. Do I regret what I did? Do I regret giving my life for Christ? Do I regret that I'm being crucified upside down? Like he doesn't know, but like it's coming. Do I regret this is the end? That I don't have freedom? That Rome, 100 years since Julius Caesar and Pompey and these guys, and when they went from the republic to a kingdom, the empire, do I regret that these men who think they rule the world, do I regret that I gave up my fishing business? I mean, he could have died an old fisherman. He could have died a guy that just tried to mind his own business and fish and stay out of all the politics and stay out of trouble. No, he died a leader of the church in Rome, testifying to Jesus Christ when Rome's about to turn on the church. And he says, we didn't follow cunningly devised fables. And neither have we. He's passed the baton to us of great truth in our time. We don't follow fables. We follow the Lord. And that's why he says in verse 19, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So Peter recalls his testimony. He's given an eyewitness testimony. We were there. We heard the Father. We saw this. And it was we, not just one. It was a witness of two or more. He said we in those previous verses. And here he says, but you know, even better than that, you have the prophetic word confirmed. Jesus confirms all the word. And everything about the Bible exalts Jesus Christ and draws people to Jesus Christ. And there's no private interpretations of Scripture. Let God be true and every man a liar. The, the Bible speaks clearly, definitively, and contextually truth. And it, it is the responsibility of humanity to, in faith, let God be God and receive his word and let it speak to us and let it judge us. I've said this many times. The fool judges God's word. The wise woman, the wise man, they let God's word judge them. They're in his wisdom. And when we build our life upon the rock of God's word and the Lord Jesus Christ as a chief cornerstone, when we let the scriptures guide and direct our every thought, our every action, our every discernment of decision and of self-determination, we are wise all the promises are ours, like God said to Joshua. You'll prosper in everything you do. Do not depart to the left or to the right of this word, but do it, obey it, and you will prosper in all things. I'll give you every place the sole of your foot goes. We will be fruitful, and we will be prosperous, and we will bear good fruit when we embrace God's word and we trust God's word. And I find it interesting, as a final thought in the back end of this chapter, that he goes from testimony, his testimony, to the word of God, which is his own testimony. And isn't it interesting in the book of Revelation that what you find there is those souls before the throne of God? For what? Their testimony on the word of God. In the end of the age, when all this age as we know it comes to conclusion and completion, the age of man, 
And the kingdom age is on the cusp of coming with Jesus Christ to establish his kingdom. At the end of this age, as we know it, as you see it outside these doors, as it's wrapping up and it's coming to an end and everything that's ever happened is being fulfilled, Daniel's 70th week, the Antichrist, the rebuilt temple, all those things are happening that are very clearly, emphatically taught to happen are in motion of happening even our generation, even more so than they were in Chuck's time, Pastor Chuck, when he saw it and knew it, and even more so now. But in the whole apex of all that, who do you see before the throne of God? People who were willing to lay down their lives because of their testimony in Christ and their confidence in the word of God. And that's who we want to be tonight, WG. We want to be people who have a testimony a personal testimony of hearing God's voice for our life to bring us to faith. And we want to be the kind of women and the kind of men who have a sure foundation for their entire life because an uncompromising, unwavering belief in the word of God, every jot and every tittle. And if we're before the throne, as those who were slain, hey, if you're going to die, what better way to die than for your testimony in the word of God, right? We'll close on this thought. You're going to die. Is there a better way to go than to go because of your testimony in Jesus Christ and your faith in the word of God? That's a really good way to go. Just scouting how you can go, that's a good one. That's in the list of, that's one of the ones we would consider. And that's an honorable position in heaven. What is lightly esteemed among men is greatly esteemed before the Lord. God loves the testimony of the saints, of their relationship with him, and those who truly trust in his word, which he has exalted above his name, and he will fulfill every single word from Genesis to Revelation, and the kingdom's coming. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight, its application to our lives.